drop dead. No, not you. I mean, you've heard the expression, right? Drop dead. Maybe you've told someone to do that. Or they've told you to drop dead. Since 1970, when the phrase was first used, we'd say drop dead in conjunction with what? Drop dead. My wife is drop dead gorgeous. There you go. Meaning someone or something is so striking, so attractive, or impressive, a person falls down if dead from the sight of it. When it comes to the things of God, however, some people drop dead for other reasons. Before we get into that, though, I want to say as great as Easter Sunday is, I really like the Sundays after Easter. I love hearing about the things that happened after Jesus rose from the dead and came out of the tomb. It's too bad all those people who joined us on Easter don't stick around for more on the Sundays following. I mean, you have Thomas <clears throat> refusing to believe Jesus is alive. And then Jesus shows up in the house without coming through the door. And Thomas believes. Then he appears to two men on the road from Jerusalem. And even though they don't recognize him, he stays with them and has dinner at their, at their house, gets up and leaves, and then they realize that was Jesus. And no one believes them when they tell the others. Then Jesus appears in Galilee and reclines at the dinner table again with the 11 disciples at someone's house. And he scolds them for not believing those two guys that Jesus met on the road before. Then there's the second miraculous catch of fish with Peter and the others on the lake. Roasted fish and bread on the beach, and he tells Peter to feed his sheep, meaning take care of the ones who are believing in me and go out and make more disciples. And then he goes up into heaven. Oh, if... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could have just given us more. What were some of the other things Jesus did, and what else did he say after he rose on Easter? Did he give any additional insight as to when he would return and make all things new? We don't have any of that. But we can see the dramatic effect Jesus had on the world after that first Easter. Let's widen our view for a minute and consider some of these things. The disciples go out to far-off lands and make Jesus known to people. Paul heads north and west all the way to Spain. Thomas is believed to have traveled all the way to India and started the churches there. Tradition has it that Matthew went to Ethiopia and baptized people there. In the meantime... The Jews in Jerusalem revolt against the Roman occupation, and after years of skirmishes with rebels and insurrection, the empire destroys the city and the temple. The apostle John was alive then, but by that time he'd been taken prisoner somewhere else, and the other apostles had already been killed. The Christian church continued to grow, however, in the shadows, while the Jews were dispersed to the four corners of the world. You know, we could, I could go on, right? But so much happened in the world after Easter and continues to happen because of one man, 
Jesus Christ. No other person in history has had the effect on the world as much as Jesus. Wars were fought in his name, and hospitals and orphanages were started in his name. Flags of many nations bear the sign of the cross of Christ on them. Easter has left a permanent mark on the world. And rightly so, since it was the creator of this world who came to it and intervened in its history in such a remarkable way. One thing you can say about God is, when it came to solving the problem of sin, He wasn't subtle about it. Now, if you want to see some really amazing things that happened after Easter, look in the book of Acts. We assume it to be the Acts of the Apostles, and it's called that sometimes, the things that they did. But it's more about the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. After all, the Apostles couldn't have done a thing worthwhile for anyone without the Helper from whom Jesus sent to them. Today we only have time to look at one of these acts, and the one chosen by the creators of the three-year revised common lectionary is Acts 5, 12 through 20, where apostles, the apostles perform many signs and wonders, and many believers are added to the church, and the Jewish authorities arrest them, put them in jail, and an angel appears and springs them out. <laughs> And it's an incredible story. But I've chosen to replace that reading today with one which comes right before it. The account of Ananias and Sapphira. The husband and wife who lied and died. The drop-dead couple. Perhaps you're familiar with this bizarre scene. If you are, it isn't because you heard it read from the lectern on Sunday. The lectionary folks left it out. Can anyone begin to imagine why? Okay, yeah, it, it, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? <laughs> On the surface, it looks like these people didn't give to the church, and they dropped dead on the spot because of it. You know, great verse to use in a stewardship campaign, wouldn't you say? You know, give generously to the church, or you too will drop dead. Okay, but we know it's not that simple though, right? You know, there's got to be more to it than that. After all, our giving to the church has been paltry, and we're still here. So why would Luke include this in his account of the acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit? One reason might be that this is the first recorded deliberate sin in the church. This couple sells a piece of property and publicly give the proceeds to this new growing community of Christians but they secretly hold back a portion of the money for, them, for themselves. Peter smells a rat, becomes suspicious, and confronts the two separately. Just hearing Peter's accusation causes each of them to drop dead on the spot. But it isn't Peter who kills them. It's some sort of divine chastisement. Grievous sin extinguishes spiritual life, and in this case physical life. To us, this kind of consequence seems out of proportion to their infraction, doesn't it? You know, really, God? You have to be that stern with this couple? They're just greedy. <laughs> Peter acknowledges that 
they were under no uh, obligation to, don to donate all the money. He says, while, they, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After all, it was sold, and were not the proceeds at your disposal? When Peter and the others were building up the church, they weren't establishing some new rule that private property was now abolished. People in the community of love for neighbor could still choose to hold their resources that God entrusted to them. So why does lying about money bring instant death for these two? It appears that Ananias and Sapphira's sin is that they are counterfeit Christians. They're imposters. They lied to achieve an honor that they hadn't earned. They dishonored and shamed themselves as patrons, but also revealed themselves to be not of the body of Christ. They pretended to become members of the body, and they attempted to look like Barnabas in his approach to giving to others before taking for yourself. But see, their motivation is actually to gain honor for themselves on the cheap. In doing this, Ananias and Sapphira actually function as part of the Roman economy. Because this is how the Romans did things. They look generous, but they're giving for the sake of status. They want to look good in front of everybody. They want to look like Barnabas. They want to look like they're part of this community, but they aren't. And they have no love or concern for anyone but themselves. Moreover, their lie about their stewardship of resources is interpreted by Peter as a lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter equates the community with the body of Christ, and rightly so, for we are. So when you lie and deceive the community, you're doing it to the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of God, co-equal with God, well then you're doing it to Him as well. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is form God's people into a community that uses resources with a deep concern for others. It's not surprising then that Ananias and Sapphira's faked act of generosity is depicted as falsifying the work of the Spirit, which is apparently a big no-no and fatal. This is a sober reminder that the stakes are serious when they're connected to the Christian community and to our own participation within it. No wonder it gets mentioned in the book of Acts. Drop dead? Well, Ananias and Sapphira definitely paid a high price for their deceitfulness. To trifle with the Holy Spirit is to trifle with God. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It forms our trust in Him. And it was God's wisdom to die on a cross and forgive your sin and rise from death so that you too would rise to new life with Him. So may you and I not drop dead from sin, but let Jesus, out of the grave and alive, lift us up to life forever. Amen.